Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. To another episode of Vertical Momentum, I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, this is going to be a fun episode. We're going to be talking about stuff that is near and dear to my heart, recovery, resilience, podcasting. But first, I want to thank our sponsors. As you guys know, when I was in the military, I got hooked on energy drinks. But now that I'm an old fart, I'm only allowed to have one a day. And I choose Physic Zero from Bonvera. It's a high energy drink, no crash, no sugar, tastes like Sprite. So, guys, if you love energy drinks, check it out. Tim, my brother, what's going on? Uh, thanks for inviting me, man. I appreciate it. Oh, man, it's it's my honor, brother. I, I love talking about recovery. I love talking about resilience, and I love talking about podcasts, and especially what you and Zach got going on. I'm loving it, so I'm excited just to be able to hang out with you today. Awesome, brother. Awesome, brother. Yeah, I appreciate it. I, uh, of course, taking a look at your show and seeing uh, uh, your passions and and, uh, you know, first responder and Christian and uh, comeback coach and all that good stuff. I'm like, yes, you know, to all three. And so just uh, an amazing platform you have here. And uh, mucho kudos to you, brother. Well, um, I got to admit, you know, the money that I spent with un- underdog empowerment uh, is worth 10 times what I paid. And, yeah. Um, and, I, you know, and I... And I've been using everything you've taught, you guys taught me, I'm actually implementing. Oh, man, that is awesome. Yeah. You know, I've been uh, uh, podcasting for about four years. And, um, you know, it started first with uh, like a spiritual sort of thing for me, just like a journey of of, kind of journaling my thoughts and getting them out there, you know, each day. And then, of course, it evolved into a business and then, um, you know, just kind of uh, just evolving and growing from there. But, uh, yeah, the process we have, uh, you know, is is really amazing. And then, um, you know, people take it to heart and do the work. But it's like anything. uh, It works. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. And it works. um, But like you said, you got to put in the work. You do. You do. Yeah. This is uh, unfortunately it's not a. It's not a, a thing that you could just plug and play. It's like, you know, a step-by-step process like um, to follow. And then, you know, if you're willing to do what is required, which I feel like is for anything in life, you know, we have to, uh, as the Stoics say, pay the cost for a worthy goal. And, uh, you know, if we're willing to pay the price, then, of course, we will walk in that benefit for sure. So we'll definitely, we'll talk about all that. But first of all, you know, for my show, it's like two brothers just having a cup of coffee because... I'm in recovery 33 years, so I can't have anything stronger than that. <laughs> but, um, you know, I love, I want to get to know people to know the man behind the microphone. Yeah, but yeah. Tell us a little bit about, you know, where you came from, where you grew up, and what kind of little boy was little Timmy? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Um, uh, the best way, word I could describe um, my childhood was, it was, was childhood trauma, uh, from one thing to another, to another, to another. Um, so my mom just had a, had a terrible, um, selection of men and, uh, you know, coming from abuse herself and, and low self-worth and all that stuff. That's kind of the way, what she fell into, but just to show you like the environment I was born into, um, uh, before I was born, let's just go there. My um, my little sister was murdered, and my brother was uh, tied to a chair and uh, tortured. And then my older brother's born, and then here comes me. And so she's like bouncing around to these like uh, broken, sadistic men. And so I come into you know her chaos and her addiction and her environment. So. Um, she picked someone just like her, man, um, you know, addicted to, to heroin and, um, like she was, and they both just created a, a whirlwind of chaos, you know, inside of, uh, you know, our world as children. And we're just like along for the ride, (laughs) as you can imagine. Now I grew up with an addicted mother. Are you sure we're not brothers? Um, (laughs) uh, I I do have a long lost brother. (laughs) I might be a. 
Hey, brother. Uh, um, so <laughs> I grew up in an addicted household. Thank God my mom's clean and sober now 20, 28 years. Um, but, you know, when I was being abused, my outlet was reading. That was my escape. What was your escape as a child? Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, staying away from home, uh, we had... You can imagine as kids, like, you know, your own imaginary world and and uh, a big mountain next by uh, by us. It was called Lion's Head in, in Riverside, California uh, mountain. And, you know, just creating like your own little world of uh, uh, escaping and staying away. And, um, you know, so they were they were also speed freaks, too. And then we had a lot of uh, people you know, uh, in, in the home and staying in the home, like, like squatters, just kind of like in the trailer in the back and underneath the patio, it's just weird experience. But, uh, so there was a lot of things to play with. And so, you know, messing around with all the, the stuff that there is in, in Tweakerville, um, you know, I think I found my escape and all that stuff. So just, uh, maybe solitude, maybe nature, uh, and, you know, messing around with things, building stuff and just, adventure you know now you know I, I i read your bio a couple of times and i swear to god uh, i was just going to replace my name on top of it <laughs> we have so much uh, in common like for me you know uh the first drink i ever had was at 12 years old and that was yeah. new year's and i was a full-blown alcoholic by the age of 13 yeah so, so how did you get involved because you know I, it seems to me that like um, you know, I've interviewed a lot of a lot of people and a lot of um, if there's two kids in a household and they're raised by the same parents, one can either follow, follow mm -hmm. parents, or they can go total opposite and become a total straight arrow. Yeah. So yeah. What was it? Uh, uh, in a so, case? you know, it ended up being uh, I believe there was five of us uh, siblings in the house before the, the government uh, stepped in and took us away. Um, there was multiple things that kind of led up to the last straw of, of that transition. Um, one, there was, you know, a person, uh, was murdered in our backyard. So there, the, uh, CPS came involved that way. And then there was a, um, a complaint at the, uh, from the school. And then my mother gave birth to, um, my last brother, with uh, three different drugs in her system and she escaped the hospital. <laughs> so needless to say, you know, uh, within that short period of time, those things stacking up, um, you know, led to um, court and us being taken away. So, you know, we got scattered to four different relatives, uh, one relative to two of us. And uh, I went with my dad's mother, which is uh, my grandmother, of course. And um, so getting, uh, here's the way I tell my story is that, you know, I had so many uh, things like going on inside of my life. The um, uh, I'll explain a couple of them and you'll probably correlate it to like PTSD. But, you know, it wasn't very uh, talked about um, during those days. But I, I would constantly uh, during solitude moments or right about to fall asleep or right after I fall asleep. You know, I would hear my uh, my stepfather uh, calling my name and then wake into a, a panic and then uh, leave the home and be, you know, multiple different locations and be found, you know, in in solitude, you know, in a ball crying and stuff. So um, I think the the drugs, um, you know, like I said, uh, like you said, 12, 13, that's that's pretty much the same thing. Um, that there was a, like a sense of relief, um, you know, inside of those things. So it was easy toward me, uh, for me to gravitate towards finding, finding, uh, some sort of temporary solutions for my problems, um, because it, it, it seemed to, to work, uh, for me, uh, for a period of time, if that makes sense. Yep. Now, me and you, I think, both agreed that me, uh, we didn't get along with school, and school didn't get along with us. Yeah. Oh, talk to us about crossing <laughs> out. Um, you know, I was uh, uh, put into Christian school by my grandmother to um, 
you know, help get me on the right track and stuff. And uh, it wasn't uh, too long before I got expelled from from there. Uh, that was seventh grade. Uh, I got expelled for uh, making a kid uh, pass out. And, and when he passed out, he um, banged his head on the locker and the ambulance came. And, um, you know, so I got uh, expelled from there. And then I got expelled from the next school that I went to. And then I went to the district. And you know the story. <laughs> yeah. <pretty much. laughs> Uh, now, did you have to go out and get a job at this time? Because if you're not going to school, did you have yeah. To so what it was was okay. So I'm 13 years old. My my uh, my grandmother passes away. She um, I go to wake her up and she doesn't wake up. And um, uh, my dad gets out of prison because of um, they have like a compassion uh, leave. You know what I mean. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you're close within a period of time of getting out and, and, and you have a relative die. So um, he gets out and um, my grandmother's dead. He's out of prison and uh, I'm and probationer officer steps in and says, you know, uh, you're going to school or I'm taking him to jail. So uh, needless to say, I did go to school for, you know, at least uh, I can recollect ninth grade of maybe. Uh, 30 days before my dad uh, uh, like a walled and bounced and, and did his thing. And so when he did that, I did the same thing. And, and um, I went off with a, a drug dealer lady up the street at uh, 14 years old. And, you know, off into that world I was. Now, you know, a lot of people don't know what experiencing homelessness is really like. You know, and I and I always tell the story of, you know, I, I live in a beautiful home now with a beautiful wife and three kids. But now when I go out to eat, you know, I eat special nights. I go out and eat filet mignon and lobster tail. <laughs> I can. Yeah. But not only that, but to remind me that, you know, 30 years ago, two, two miles from where I'm sitting, I was eating out of the garbage cans. Yeah. And homeless. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about your homelessness. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you're in that uh, lifestyle, eating's not, uh, you know, a very top priority. Uh, by this time, I was into meth and, and staying up, you know, nights on end. Um, the times I do remember eating, it was out of uh, the McDonald's trash can and uh, the Ralph's uh, back uh, trash can when they used to allow the, you know, the food to to go in the dumpsters like that. So yeah, my, uh, the way that I ate was, you know, McDonald's and Ralph's and the way that I provided for like the little extra stuff was, um, just going around on my bike on trash day and, um, getting all the trash cans, uh, or the cans and, and turning those in and, and, um, you know, trying to accumulate maybe a hundred dollars a week or something. Okay, so now um, after you turned, you know, you're 14, 15, 16 years old, <laughs> did you have any um, any vision of what your life would be? For me, I, you know, some, somebody asked me the other day, you know, did you ever think what you turn out what you are? I was like, you know what, I never thought I'd make it to the age of 25. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the same. I think it's a very common narrative. Um you know, mine, of course, was about 18. I didn't see myself uh, living very long. I had a, uh, a failed suicide attempt where I, I took uh, 30 uh, sleeping pills and, um, you know, tried to end it and stuff. So, um, you know, as far as like the diagnosis, it would probably be, you know, uh, PTSD with depression and, and uh, you know, with uh, um, addiction uh, disorder in there. So, um, yeah, you know, it was, it was really, really a terrible experience. Um, you know, the having a overdose, um, was a pivotal moment for me and it was, it was really, really scary. And, you know, I would, I would do drugs with people and then I would do drugs personally and me being with adults sometimes in like different houses, you know, sometimes this, this quantity was quite large for a 14, 15 year old, you know, to, to be able to handle. I mean, I'm a hundred pounds soaking wet, you know, and I'm, and I'm 14, 15 years old. So, 
uh, doing drugs with adults and, you know, keeping up with them and then uh, doing like more on the side, you know, it's inevitable for me to have that um, terrible experience. <laughs> well, for me, um, I almost, you know, went to prison for five years for grand larceny and oh. the, the uh, was actually a police officer. So he actually saved my bacon and he told me, you know, I had to go to 90 meetings in 90 days oh. and I yeah. hit like 300 in a row and I haven't had a drink since 80, 1989. But, you know, for me, there's always been somebody that stood in the gap for me that always was there for me. Yeah. Talk to us about how you, you know. Yeah. So what you're come to Jesus moment. It was actually literally I came to Jesus. But uh, uh, so there was something. For some reason, I guess, guys, um, hopefully he comes back on. If not, we're just going to have to reconnect. We might have got a bad connection. Um, so I'm going to do that in five, four, three, two, one. So what was your come to Jesus moment? Yeah, so I had a, a literal uh, come to Jesus moment, brother. I So my grandmother, um, she raised me, you know, in, in Christian school and going to church and all that. So I kind of knew in the back of my mind that, that Jesus was the answer. Um, but this old lady, uh, so I was living in a trailer in the back. She found out I was an addict. Well, she was an Al-Anon. <laughs> For listeners who are not uh, familiar with Al-Anon, they, they go to meetings to deal with the addicts and alcoholics in their life, right? <laughs> so this, uh, this lady was thoroughly equipped with how to handle me. Uh, at any rate, she said a hard line and said, you know what, we, you can uh, live here uh, if you do this, this, and this. So she set like hard boundaries and said, you know what, I'll even take you to um, meetings. So here I go with this, this lady, man, and uh, we're going to meetings and um, she's going to her Al-Anon and she's dropped me off with the, with the old timers. So I got stuck into a, a meeting with, um, you know, of course, I was the youngest person in there, uh, but all of these old men uh, who had 20, 30, 40, 50 years of sobriety, man, they just like uh, took me under their wing and just really, really uh, uh, helped me along in that path. So immediately after that, I started feeling maybe uh, some more connection uh, with God. So I stumbled into a, a local church nearby. And of all people, man, I tell you, this is funny because you had a cop kind of uh, uh, step in for your life. Mine was a cop also. And uh, he was a cop that went to that local church. And uh, he seen me bopping in one day and, um, you know, offered to take me to Jack in a Box. And then he became uh, this powerful, powerful mentor in my life and uh, took me under his wings. So um, as far as success, um, I'm not the one to say that I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I, uh, my story is that there were like two people that were willing to invest in me and maybe saw something that I didn't see. And yeah, you know, and I can relate, you know, cause I, I was 20 years old and I'm sitting in this church in the bottom of the church, drinking stale coffee, eating nasty cookies <laughs> being around these 50 60 year old men yeah and you know and then realizing you know i can't go back hanging out with my old friends i can't go back to people places and things so what was that like for you you know because yeah to have door and not 
be in that lifestyle anymore. Yeah, I, man, I got set up multiple different times, man. I wasn't uh, uh, smart enough at first to to navigate and uh, um, to really calculate what this decision was going to bring this decision. So I had two different scenarios that, w- that happened. Uh, one was seeing the birth of my sister's baby, going back into the environment um, with her her um, uh, boyfriend, which was kind of my, my road dog. He was like my mentor inside of the, the skinheads. And um, so, yeah, I put myself in a couple different times in those situations. Uh, I'm thankful that, you know, I went back into the environment where there was those supportive people and um, that they were there to, you know, help uh, uh, pick up my mess uh, multiple, multiple times. Now, you didn't let your not having a high school diploma stop you from being successful. Um, So you got involved eventually in an amazing real estate company. Talk to us about that and how that was going. You know, when you when you know that, hey, you know, I don't even have a I didn't finish 10th grade. But here I am. I'm with guys that are making seven, eight, nine figures a year. Yeah. that had to change your mindset. Yeah. So uh, the transition, of uh, course, was going to night school and uh, uh, getting my GED at uh, 16. I uh, went to court and got emancipated, uh, stand before the judge and pled my case. And so there was a sense of uh, uh, that I was accomplishing a couple wins. You know, those were two really big wins in my life that um that kind of uh, maybe gave me a little bit more confidence to uh, tackle some bigger ones. So uh, once again, man, I, you know, the whole pull yourself by your bootstraps, you know, I don't have that story, but what I do have is another person, uh, which was my youth pastor uh, was looking for a laborer. (laughs) Okay. And I'm like, I'm working at a home Depot on the night crew at this time. And uh, he goes, I need a laborer. And uh, in, in this construction site, you know, million dollar homes. So there I am for a year uh, sweeping these homes. And then, you know, and then I go to build them. It, it, it's amazing uh, through that process of, of starting at the bottom, proving myself and then end up building these homes. Um, just an amazing transformation. This all happened within, um, you know, a, probably a five year process of uh you know, getting my life together and getting on track and stuff. And then eventually you're like, okay, I need to move on to something different. Yeah. You, yeah. So what was that? You know, cause a lot of people think, okay, you know, I'm successful in one area. I'm just going to stick with it and ride the wheels off it. Yeah. But yeah. You decided to, you know, branch out and to start serving others. Yeah. So the way that turned out was, uh, I would say more of a Providence thing because, uh, you know, the, the crash of, uh, 2008, 2009, uh, people are very familiar with. And so inside of the construction industry in Southern California, um, everything was just, if you were inside that circle, like lending construction title, anything, uh, you got shaken to the core. And so that's exactly what happened to me at that time, uh, working for, you know, the best home builder in the, in the, in the United States, um, par none. I had that like getting shaken up. So, you know, I had a plan for my life and the plan was to, um, you know, build a lot of homes and, and make a lot of money and do these things. But, um, Providence had a different plan. I got shook up. And um, so I landed in the uh, treatment center environment, um, you know, looking at uh, the former me and the the pain that I was going through and thinking that I can um, make a difference and that I can help and that I can relieve pain. And so, yeah, I, I, I ended up in the treatment center environment, helping at-risk youth uh, the same age I was when I was in, in trouble. So. Now, you know, um, I've spoken a lot in jails and in, in rehabs, and it, they'll, they know if you're not real, and they will call you out on your BS. They do. And, but I think yeah. one thing, you know, when we speak in, you know, jails or rehabs, 
you know, we speak from a place of empathy, you know, cause we've been there. Yeah. So what, talk to us about having, you know, there's some, there's, I've been to certain treatment places where the person that's talking to me never had a drug problem, never had an addiction problem. And, and they're trying to tell me how things are. And I'm like, and I can never relate. You know what I mean? So how yeah. kids relate with you knowing where you come from, where you came from? Yeah. So it was a, um, a very strange experience at first, I, I would have to say, because the the model inside of most therapeutic or in most treatment centers at that time was still more of a punitive, like punishment based uh, shame uh, sort of scenario. So, you know, I come into this environment, I'm like, this can't be right. We cannot be doing things right. Like this is just, this is just nuts. Um, and then of course they get into this transition where they transition to more therapeutic and where they know that each kid that comes in here is like adverse childhood experiences and all this stuff. And so when that happened, um, I literally got two promotions within a short period of time because I embodied um, everything that they were pioneering. And so it was like, so I started as a line staff and then uh, became a, 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 the assistant and then I became the team supervisor and stuff. So um, yeah, really grabbing hold of like that, that therapeutic model of man, like you don't, like everybody there really didn't understand too much because they they're coming from the correctional officer side and all they, you know, really want is to uh, force compliance and to, uh, to control. Cause that's, that's the environment. That's what they're taught. And then they get this guy coming in who was, you know, off the streets and who had childhood trauma and, and, and was listening to the clients and all this stuff. I became known for the supervisor that kids never ran away from my dorm. They never ran away. And if they got somebody that they knew was tough and constantly ran away, they put them in my dorm. And so I just got this reputation of, of really connecting uh, and, and the kids' uh, graduation and therapeutic process were a lot more successful. You know, and I love it. You know, you know, and I and I was a corrections officer for a while. You can keep that job because you're just doing time. <laughs> you know, you're just doing time on the installment plan. You know, <laughs> doing time right with them. You just get to go home. <laughs> you know. Yeah. As far as I had this dream, uh, uh, you probably relate to this. Um, you know, when they were still in that correctional officer mode, I had this dream that I was. Uh, like one of the clients experiencing the, the punitive processes. And I was on the other end and uh, it was this very weird dream, but I think it was meant for me to uh, empathy and for me to know and understand what is happening on the other side. <laughs> I love it. Somebody once asked me, what are you going to be for Halloween? And I said, I'm going to be empathy, man. Because, empathy, man. You know, cause that's what I, I I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a big empath, but now, yeah. You know, being in recovery, you know, I started as the as a young kid. Now I'm like one of the OGs. And for me, I get I see a lot of kids that come in and, you know, I, I, I hear a lot in the rooms, you know, oh, you know, I can go out one more time. You know, uh-huh. I got one more in me. And for, <laughs> I've seen so many people not come back. You know, I've seen them, you know, die that same yeah. day because they had. They had, they thought they had one more run in them, you know? So what, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, Oh, I'm just going to go out one more time or, you know, um, I'm, you know, or, or I hear kids saying, you know, well, relapse is just part of recovery. It doesn't happen. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Man, I have some very, um, like powerful and emotional thoughts on that. It's just cause, um, you know, we ran recovery groups for uh, during COVID online and um, we're reaching out to men and just had this amazing experience. And um, needless to say, um, there was there was a gentleman who, man, he just gravitated me, connected uh, with me. I was speaking into his life. Uh, he got COVID and um, and was in lockdown and um, he th- once lockdown was over, he thought he would just give one more run and, you know, it's all over. 
it's, it is all over. And um, so my father overdosed from heroin and uh, he's no longer with us. And my mother was uh, uh, taken by cancer from, you know, repeated use and, and all of that stuff. So my, uh, my conversation on this is, is very stiff that um, we are not like other people. Okay. You can see people, you know, who use uh, recreationally, it doesn't have much impact. They can, they can take it. They can leave it. They can have a glass of wine. It doesn't turn into a hooker and cocaine. You know, there's, there's people out there that are, that are normal. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not. And I take it that you're probably not either. Oh, hell no. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's something uh, that's maybe, uh, I don't want to say abnormal, but we're just not like everybody else. Um, there's something uh, that we're built different. So anybody who has that mindset, um, you know, I would definitely challenge that and say, you know what, you, you, you know, you, you probably have a belief system that's ingrained with you that you are all or nothing. And that means like your balls to the wall. And so if you think you're going to go out there and like dabble and play it safe and, and uh, you know, that's just not reality because there's something definitely within us where we go all in, we're balls yeah. to the wall. Yeah, you know, like I have friends. Like, you know what? I'm, we're gonna go out and have a glass of wine, and I'm like, "What do you mean a glass of wine? Uh, yeah, whole bottle or nothing? Why have it is? This? You know, uh, and yeah. and you know, even as when I got got off drugs and you know and alcohol and all that, you know, I still have addiction to sugar, to sugar, or you know, if I get into something, I'm I'm all in, or I'm all out. Yeah. No, there's no in between. Like if I'm going to play a video game, I'm not going to put it on for five minutes. I'm going to be yeah. four hours. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, now yeah. podcasting is my new, is my new drug. So, so talk to us about, you know, now you move on and how did you get involved in podcasting? How, how, how did it all come about? Yeah. So, uh, I, uh, told my story on Facebook and um, this is back before Facebook had a lot of uh, algorithm uh, restrictions and stuff. And I went viral on uh, Facebook uh, with my story, sharing it because, um, you know, five years ago, there wasn't, you know, that much vulnerability out there. So uh, it connected with a lot of people. And, um, you know, I just uh, went from there into um, podcasting and, um, showing up on, it started out with showing up on Facebook and doing lives and stuff. And, uh, just really connecting with people through the honesty and vulnerability and stuff. And then that led to like creating, uh, uh systems and programs and, and meetings online and stuff like that. So yeah, that's kind of how it evolved was, uh, just me telling the, the story that I told you probably in a, uh, childhood but in a little more detail but um yeah that's how it started for me as far as going all in um that's the way i feel you know with uh, any endeavor that i i take so you know the 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 curse that we have when uh energized and focused in the right direction uh we are obsessive and we you know we are you know compulsive in a sense and when that is energized to the right direction, um, my goodness, watch out. We're, we're forced to be reckoned with. <laughs> yeah. So now you got to, you know, tell me how you and Zach got together, how you guys met and how that the, the dream team became. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's funny. Um, I had a um, business of doing podcast, uh, more like a freelancer, not really a business like Zach Scott, um, just me personal, uh, freelancing. And, uh, you know, over the course of years, I've had, you know, uh, quite a few clients that I've worked with. And so one of my clients, um, connected me, uh, with Zach, Zach posted something about, uh, needing somebody to, uh, manage, uh, operations and different stuff like that. Um, my client put my name in there and then you know here we are so it's definitely a, a social media uh connection and it just happened from there and um 
you know, now I'm the COO and we're, uh, we're running, uh, running the business, man. <laughs> you know, and like I said, you know, I've, I think I've watched every video now three times, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm using it as, as a lifelong course. And, you know, some of the stuff is common sense, but then some of the stuff is just like, you just have to say, you know, I hate to curse on here, but I, but it's my show so I can do what I want. But, <laughs> you know, sometimes you have to say, fuck it. Like, yeah. Sometimes, you know, like you guys talk about is, you know, if you want to get some of the bigger players to come on the show, all you have to do is ask. And yeah. You do is say no. And I think a lot of, um, well, I, I was playing small until I got the course. And now yeah. I think, you know, I'm kind of getting, you know, I'm, you know, like I have um, coming up, you know, Mr. Tony Watley coming on, you know, uh, Sharon Leckler, you know, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But if it wasn't for you guys saying, go for it. Yeah. So talk to us about why sometimes podcasters play the small game. And because, you know, the average podcast only lasts, I think, about 13 episodes. Yeah, that's the truth. So, you know, why is there such a high dropout rate and why do a lot of podcasters just play small? Yeah, you know, I think it comes down to um, limiting beliefs, man. We all have them. Um, You know, I had so many limiting beliefs and you know they've they affect uh, our our self-perception they affect our identity uh they affect who we are so like for example if i'm if i think that i'm a lower class or i'm mediocre or whatever you want to call it whatever i little identity s- statement that we have that that's going to keep us in that state of whatever we believe ourselves to be so you know, I think one thing that resonates with a lot of people is, okay, this underdog mindset, like, I know I can resonate with it, I'm sure you can too, that uh, I am an underdog, you know, I, I, you know, all my siblings, you know, are still, still in the fray, they're still trying to find their way. And, you know, as far as expectations of what I should become, um, you know, I should be dead or I should be in prison or I should be on welfare. I should be, you know, uh, no offense, but the, what in the fray, like my siblings are. So, you know, giving somebody permission to change their self perception. Uh, this is what I think some of the program does is because like you said, you would think it would be like an, Oh, duh. Like, yeah, reach out to him. But he gave you permission to do it. <laughs> it's like he just gave you and all of a sudden now you got the you feel like you're equipped with the tools. You feel like you have the right to and you feel like you maybe that you have the right pitch to or something. There's something within that that uh, it changes your self perception a bit. And now all of a sudden there you are doing something that you would never think you would do. So that's what I, you know, I, I, I busted down to is is this identity shift. And uh, changing these uh, limiting beliefs. And that is, you know, I can't do that. Why not? <laughs> yeah, you know, and like I'm watching your ep- one of the episodes and he talks about, or you guys talk about, because you guys are a team. So that that's, you know, but they talk about how to get ranked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, I, I'm thinking, you know, there's no way I'm ever going to get ranked. Right, right. You know, and then I start listening to it and... I actually I use his pitch. You got you could tell him this because I've had him on the show too. His uh-huh. is going to drop soon, uh, but I actually use his pitch word for word on how to get people to leave reviews so you can get ranked, and I have a hundred percent success rate. Like yeah, he says you will if you just used certain phrases the way he do. Use them. Yeah, and that so it helps you get ranked. Yeah. I, and he, you guys break it down how to get ranked. And now we got ranked. Well, again, I think we we're like in the top 75 in how to and whatever, you know, but it, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. So people are afraid to, you know, like I was talking to somebody, somebody won't think twice about buying an iPhone 13, you know, but they'll, they'll think twice about spending, was it 67 or whatever on uh, to learn something. Then they're going to be like, oh, I don't know if I should. 
I'm like, wait a minute, you just spent left thirteen hundred bucks on a phone, but you're not going to spend something to learn how to do what your passion is. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I correlate this, uh, you know, in a spiritual thing of, you know, asking, seeking and knocking. And so anybody who allows us to give us permission to uh, that, it's OK to ask and it's OK to seek and it's OK to like take the steps necessary and knock and, and follow this process of, of not only like desiring, but actually making the ask and, and seeking these things that um, this is the way, you know, kind of that process of uh, fulfillment kind of works, you know? <laughs> and, you know, I was reading, you know, cause I, I read like six, I have six books going. Uh, I'm addicted to reading, I guess, knowledge. And I was reading, you know, one of the pastors, pastor Joe Osteen was talking about today is sometimes that we, we worry so much what other people are, th- are think that we don't act upon anything and yeah. one that's going to end up regretting not doing things. So do you think that's why a lot of people quit or not even start a podcast? Cause they're like my wife. I love my wife. She's my, my best friend. She's my rock, but she's like to hell is podcasting. You know, why, why would anybody listen to a podcast? You know, yeah. but, and I believe, you know, it's my journey. You know, it's yeah. Her, it, and, and, you know, she's my partner, but it's not her journey. And sometimes she's not going to understand, but I don't, I don't want to, I'm not going to quit either. So do you think a lot of people don't start or just quit in the middle because of what other people think? So I think it's, uh, um, uh, looking in, I would say that maybe there's not a strong enough reason why, uh, for me, there's, there's this significance, there's this attachment. Um, and honestly, now an identity, because anybody who like continues in podcasting, they're a podcaster. <laughs> and so now you have, uh, you know, this identity and it's become like part of who you are. So there, there's something that people that don't continue on podcasting, they never feel they never really fully accepted the identity of a podcaster. So that could be like imposter syndrome or not, you know, limiting beliefs, not measuring up. And uh, beyond that, I think um, there's not a lot of validation per se. And I I know, you know, I podcasted for, you know, a year straight, um, you know, five times a week, you know, the whole year. And um, feeling like maybe you're not being heard or there's not progress and stuff. So I would say that, you know, not accepting the identity of a podcaster and really embracing it not finding significance in the message or finding like fulfillment, like spiritual kind of fulfillment and helping and speaking to others. But then it comes down to, to that is the lack of validation. Um, People like to um, know that they're impacting others and, and stuff. So people that are in that case, I tell them immediately to start a Facebook group. And to get engaged with your, uh, you, to your listeners and use your podcast to get more people in your Facebook group, use your Facebook group to get more people in your podcast and get the validation that you're looking for from community because oftentimes uh, podcasting will kind of leave you a little bit unvalidated. And, you know, sometimes like, I mean, you know, when I first started, um, I would be looking at numbers, you know, I'd only have like eight downloads, eight listens. And right. it, it be, eventually it can drive you crazy if you're just continuing looking, you know, every five minutes, am I ranked today? Am I ranked today? You know, how many downloads do I have? And but what you guys talk about is you guys talk about, you know, would you rather have a thousand listens or would you let, rather have 10 people? that got something from what you told, what you talked about and acted upon it. Yeah. So like the reality of that is, so I have a, a podcast. It's, it's doing well. Like, you know, um, we, we rank to where you getting high downloads. Um, you know, I have five men that, that I invest in uh, every week. And so finding your validation from a little bit different, it's like, so from that podcast, that has caused me to be able to invest in, in five men every week. And so, you know, finding validation from, you know, a different source, maybe. Now, one of the things I struggled with, and I think a lot of people struggle with, 
I'm great at interviewing. I'm great at talking to people. I'm great at building relationship. But if I do a graphic, it looks like some retard did it. <laughs> you know, I'm not good at, you know, I'm, I'm very good at graphics. I'm not very good at, you know, copywriting. But I didn't realize until I went through your course that, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So yeah. how somebody that does know, you know what I mean? So yeah, sometimes yeah. Sometimes we don't want to give up that control. And but sometimes it might be what's holding us back. Yeah, that's very true, man. I, you know, there's obviously a ceiling to, you know, our capacity. And, um, you know, once people hit their um, capacity, um, nothing changes until nothing, you know, something changes. And so having a way to increase your capacity. So like if somebody were to start a podcast and they would say, well, Tim, you know, when should I outsource? Um, probably when you're thinking about quitting, because the reality is, is that, so some of these people that, that don't continue on is because, um, you know, their time, money, uh, asset and the time to do this when that could be delegated to somebody else. And then I can focus my time on doing what I love, you know? So that sort of thing. Anybody ask me that, I tell them, yeah, you know, if you're feeling like it's a little too much, then you should probably outsource. If you got this well under control and you got plenty of time, rock it, man. You, you know, get some courses though, uh, but like rock it. And, you know, and I love what you got, you know, what you guys do. Um, I never really thought about how important your description is. You know, um, I never put two and two together until you guys started talking about, you know, how important your bio is, you know, for people that are, are that are going to click on and how important that, you know, you need to be different than other people because there's only one Joe Rogan. You know? Yeah. And yeah. a lot of people or there's only one <laughs> Gary Vaynerchuk. But there's a right. lot of people that try to be, and they're not going to get anywhere near what they get. So talk right. to us about, you know, developing your own way of doing things. Like me and Zach, he's got a great way of talking, um, and I don't have that. But that's okay because, you know, we both have different styles. So talk to us about, you know, making building your own style and not trying to be like somebody else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. I uh so me and Zach are totally different. He's uh, he's an influencer and uh, he has no uh, problem, you know, rubbing shoulders with people and connecting and, you know. And so what I would say is, you know, inside of your temperament of who you are, like to to, of course, be you like I can't, um, you know, socially handle. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff that it comes through, like interviewing and all that stuff. So, you know, I might interview, you know, one person a month, you know, on my podcast and the rest are solo. So like really get in touch with like, what do you want to accomplish, who you are, um, like be yourself, you know, as far as connecting with your audience, uh, vulnerability and telling the truth, man, because like, there's this persona out there that says, you know, the, we have to pretend that we're like perfect and we got it all together and that uh, and we put on, you know, all the uh, awesome pictures on social media, but we never talk about the shit. Right. And so if you have a podcast that is real and that, you, you know, that you're talking about pain, and that is key. And that's why I say, you know, if you're starting a podcast, start with the pain. Um, and that is, you know, within the first 20 seconds of your first episode, like drop some pain, like pretty, pretty quick. And so people can, can, can get to know the vulnerable you and not like the social media you. I love it. Now, you know, the people that are listening to this are they're they're either veterans or they're entrepreneurs. Yeah. They're vetrepreneurs. Uh, why should somebody start a podcast and and i i know the answer because i've watched all the videos yeah but yeah. You know, why should somebody start a um a podcast and you know most people think oh i'm just gonna start a youtube channel but there's millions and millions of youtube channels but podcasts yeah not it, it's it's fertile ground right now yeah yeah i um i don't know the exact stat of uh youtube but it's it's a hundred times uh, what podcasting is. I think podcasting 
is um i believe there's like close to seven million podcasts in the world and of those um seven million i think uh less than one are actually active <laughs> so you know, we have a great opportunity here in the limitedness of the podcast. You're like, wow, a million active podcasts. That's, 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 that's a lot. I'm competing with million. But, you know, what we don't understand is the population of the whole world. And actually, if you continue, if you just continue, um, you are going to be, um, you know, part of the elite club of, uh, of podcasting just because you show up in general. So that's a, that's the plus, you know, as far as why podcasting um, for me, I'll just answer for myself that I find fulfillment in taking what I have and giving it to somebody else. So if I read and retain and I apply it to my life, it doesn't seem quite enough for me because it worked and I'm, you know, benefiting from it. Shouldn't somebody else benefit from it too? So for example, like, you know, some of your listeners that the, are listening that, you know, have gone through the pain of, you know, uh, uh, being a vet in PTSD and some of the traumatic experiences and stuff. There are so many uh, voices that don't get heard. And the reason why they don't get heard is because of these limiting beliefs like they yeah, somebody else is doing that, or uh, the, there's plenty of room at the table. <laughs> you know, for me, you know, I started it. I'm I'm an accidental podcaster. Uh-huh. I started it. I was just reviewing different uh, pro- proteins and pre workouts when I first started, and then okay. when I lost my vision, you know, eighty when I lost eighty percent of my vision. That's when I was like, all right, maybe I should just interview people that have it worse than me so I can feel better about it. <laughs> okay. And I did. You know, and now it's, you know, like I was telling my son, you know, he's in college now and he's kicking ass, taking names. Uh, um, yeah. But I told him, I said, you know, networking is everything. And I said, you know, if I want to know something like I don't know crap about Bitcoin. But I yeah. just invited a guy to come on my show so he can teach me what Bitcoin is all about. So I think that's one great thing about having your platform is you can have anybody that you want on and ask them any question that you want. So it's, it's you know, for me, only have a ninth grade education. You know, I'm, I'm getting taught, you know, an MBA in business just by talking yeah. to great people like yourself and, you know, and Zach, you know. Yeah, man, you're absolutely right. Because, um, you know, there's something a little more dynamic. So I, you know, I listen to a lot of books. I I read a lot. I'm sure you do too. Um, But, you know, having a conversation with somebody and you writing down something in your notebook and then you going applying it. I don't know if there's something a little bit different, but in books, you know, we, we're, we are overwhelmed with 80,000, 100,000 words. And then sometimes that gets a little bit lost. But having an experience with somebody and talking, communicating, writing down that key point, hey, I'm going to do that. Um, I think there's more apt to get it done. And there's more application maybe. <laughs> so now, if somebody is thinking about you know, starting a podcast, I know a lot of times people get wrapped around the axle. You know, it's paralysis of analysis. You know, what what camera am I going to get? You know, what lighting? My lighting's got to be so great. And I'm like, bro, have you ever seen some of Gary's videos where he's at a flea market and buying a $5 toy to sell on eBay? And it's got yeah. like 5 million views. So it doesn't matter what camera you actually have. You know, like you guys said in, in one of your videos, word for word, you said, just put it out. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to us about that for people that are afraid to to just just not just you get it started. How do you? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, Zach is the king of that. He um, he um, self defined as the type that will you know jump off the cliff and and you know uh, uh, install the wings on the way down. (laughs) You know what I mean? To figure it out. So, in podcasting, I do recommend. Uh, that process of just do it. Um, I 
put a hundred podcasts out there when I first started and I just talked for 10 minutes and I did my thing and, you know, I listened through them to them now and yeah, they're mediocre. Yeah. It sucked a little bit. Um, maybe the mic quality wasn't the greatest. It really wasn't. And, you know, all of these things that whatever, um, but the reps, that's what I would say is we're talking about building a podcast muscle here and that getting your reps is the most important part, making sure that you're, you're, you're totally dialed in or everything's perfect or all those different things. It's not quite as important as the process of growing and figuring it out. Okay. So I got a couple rapid fire questions. Okay. Especially, you know, you've been in business for a minute now, so you you have, you have a a little bit of experience. So three rapid fire questions. Okay. Number one, if you had to start all over again with little to no money, how would you do it? Um, I actually had to do this, man. I, uh, about three years ago, our income was my, both my wife's and I's income were attached to one person and, um, there was some shady business and we had to exit, um, that caused us to lose our house, our, our, uh, employment, everything within one day. So, um, what we did was we reached out to our network and we, um, told, uh, people our situation, uh, they kind of helped us and they stepped in for us for a little bit. And what that looked like was them allowing us to uh, stay at a certain location that they had a property at and uh, building ourselves up. So within that first 30 days was just totally exhausting my network. And so at the end of those 30 days, I was making 5,000 a month. So um, what I would say is that anybody who faces an immediate crisis like that, same with the construction. When I lost my construction job, I had at least 200 contacts. So um, what it is, is that you, you really, really tap in uh, to your network during that time. Okay. Number two, what is the most important lesson you've learned while in business? Uh, While in business, um, I would say um, probably identity and outcomes. So you have this plan for business and maybe you're attached too strongly to something. And so when something shifts or changes, you kind of lose your identity. You don't know who you are. Um, You have to go through this rediscovering process. I think one of the biggest things that I've learned is that uh, don't get so attached to plans and outcomes and different things. Focus more on who you want to be and who you want to become. Because a lot of those outcomes that we place in business, they're ultimately beyond our control. A lot of them are. And so the economy can shift. This, These things can happen. But who you are and who you want to be and who you want to become, man, that is in your hands and that is in your power. Like, So grab hold of that. Okay, so what are the three best piece of it, pieces of advice for somebody that wants to start a podcast today? Today. Today, right? Okay. As soon as they hop off, they're going to start a podcast. <laughs> so, uh, you know, map out what you want your episodes to be like. Uh, for example, if you're going solo, uh, maybe you do a Q&A at the beginning or maybe you do a quote. Um, and then create just like maybe three keywords that will trigger your brain into communication. Um, you know, whatever those three words are, um, just they inspire you. It's what you want to talk about. Put them on there. And so go through your process. Look at the, the keyword that prompts the, the conversation and go from there. If you're interviewing, I think one of the best things that you can do is is, um, you know, of course, listen to the person, but then write down a, a word that they might said because they can trigger you into a conversation. And when it happens like that, 
when it's this like uh, spontaneous and, and triggered sort of thing and you write the word down. So when they're done speaking, you look at the word and you remember and you're like, man, you said that. And man, that was like, man, I could really relate to what you're talking about. So those two things. Um, but then, uh, like you said, man, um, start. It doesn't matter if you have your uh, uh, phone mic, uh, just through your computer, whatever. Um, just get started. And like I said, there's so many simple ways out there. Um, like you, Richard, you're on Anchor FM. Um, that's a, an awesome way to do it straight from your phone. You attach your uh, a good mic in there. This is what I'm going off of right now. I'm like, I got a Sure mic connected to my iPhone, and I'm you know three inches away from it. And I'm talking to you. So, <laughs> okay. Now, how do we? Okay, I got my last two questions, but because it's you. I'm going to ask a third question. Okay. Uh, how do we find you? How can we um, find your podcast? Yeah, yeah. Find um, the books and everything from from um, from the show. And uh, how do we support your mission? Yeah. So as far as podcasting, you know, our ideal client is if you're a business owner and you have a, a busy plate and you're running a business and all of these different things, uh, let us take the podcasting thing off your plate. Uh, you can check that out at podcastpowertrain.com. Uh, as far as the mission of me helping men develop grit and, and stoic uh, philosophy, you can find that according to nature.net. Uh, and that is according to nature.net. And on that front page there, you will find two gifts, man. I just want to give them to you. And um, just go ahead and check that out. You don't even have to put it in the email. It's actually a gift. <laughs> I hate when people, free gift, give me your email. So I can solicit. it's not even that. Like you just grab it. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's right there. And, um, and uh, hopefully connect with you on social media, on Facebook. I'm pretty active there. Okay. So now, you know, we talked about business. We talked about podcasting, but um, you know, the last question, the second to last question you know, we live in a very crazy world still. You know, I'm in New Jersey. Yeah. And, you know, we're st there's a lot of places on lockdown. Uh, we got a lot of people that lost their jobs. So they're driving Uber, DoorDash, just trying to put food on the table. Yeah, yeah. So if I ask the average American to do something in seven days, they're never going to get to it because they're so busy. But if I ask somebody that's listening right now to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. Mm -hmm. so if there's somebody listening to us right now that's either in either addicted or in a very bad situation like you were as a 13 or 14 year old what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to get some help yeah yeah uh very uh practical super practical uh, I, i'll share a mental one in a second but i wanted to share a really practical because um this is going to help them more than anything um, if you're feeling suicidal, call the hotline. If, uh, you know, you have a excessive, um, experiences, uh, step foot into, uh, an NA or an AA meeting, uh, step foot into a church and, and begin to connect with somebody because, you know, the relationships and the accountability and all of these different things, you know, they're going to open you up to multiple different resources and multiple different things that you never knew existed. So the, the mental thing, I would think about, um, you know, the things that are outside of your control and begin to look at your addiction as possibly one of these things. If you've gone to the depths of despair and depression and thought about suicide and, and your addiction is taking you to very, very dark places, then consider. Consider that this is something that you do not have control of and um, that will begin the thinking process of change that could lead to a, a surrender. I love it. So my last question for you before you head out and have a beautiful day. Um, and I don't ask this to everybody. It's, uh -huh. um, but I feel that, you know, you're, you're, you're a man that has, you know, convictions mm -hmm. that, you know, I believe, you know, my Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, I, even though I fail him every day that, that he loves me, 
Um, but a lot of people out there, especially now with COVID times, they feel lost. Yeah. They say that, you know, if if you don't feel close to God, you're the one that moved. Because <laughs> he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So if there's somebody out there struggling to find peace, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to find a little bit of peace and, and maybe, you know, get on track with him? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, what set me on track was this overdose conversation. Um, you could imagine, you know, your, your heart pumping and your hearing closing off and only, you know, tunnel vision and hearing the only thing is your heartbeat. Looking at my friend, his his mouth is moving, but I don't hear anything, and I'm just full on panic, and I'm and I'm communing and having a conversation with God. Um, so I would say, like, really open up. You know, part of this whole process is is really to bring it to the end of ourselves and to the end of the addiction, and 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 almost to a point of where you give up. Because you're you're fighting it, you're fighting the process. You've thought about change, and and change has been introduced, and then you you've revert, reverted back. And so, in this process of change, you have already initiated it. You have already you're already in it. And so, what would help would stop kicking against the the pricks and begin to trust the process. Because once we engage with the surrender and we stop resisting. Um, then all of a sudden we begin to get in this flow state of change and then we begin to to expand in the process. So hopefully that helps a little bit, but I think uh, this this uh, communication of, uh, uh, of of surrender of like this is, you know, I'm oh man, I've, I'm sick, I'm tired, I'm disgusted. Man, sometimes disgust can be the greatest motivation. Do you need to get disgusted anymore? <laughs> Yep. Hopefully not. Like let that disgust like drive you to 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 the change that, that's waiting for you. Yep, I love it. You know, sometimes it takes somebody to be sick and tired of sick and tired mm-hmm. to get help. Bro, this has been yeah. my favorite conversation of all time. And Bye. I just want to say thank you. And I'm so grateful that you're in my inner circle. I appreciate you, brother. And I uh like I said, man, I, I, I totally uh, connect with your mission and uh, and uh, everything that you're doing, man. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm more than thrilled to to be on your podcast once I see what it was about. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, have an amazing day. And if you get a chance to t- uh, talk to Zach, tell him I love him when you talk to him. All right. Will do, brother. I appreciate you. God bless you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.